ricochet right in your face. Welcome back to the Fadeaway Podcast Offseason Edition, baby. Episode number, I believe it's number eight. I've lost count, but I keep guessing every week instead of just <laughs> checking before we record. But I'm here with my co-host, Zaid. How you doing, bud? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Just uh, can't complain, you know, getting the, getting the work in, doing our thing, just trying to trying to get famous out here, I guess, is, is the goal. So. Man, we're, we're, hey, we're, we're working on it. We're working up to it. We've got some. We got a, a very, very fun guest today. We had a really good conversation with her today. Yeah, awesome. Um, we'll, we'll introduce that soon, but... Just a couple of things that, you know, went on in the NBA this week. Uh, a huge, huge blockbuster deal of the two worst contracts in the league. You didn't think they were movable? Baby, they got moved. I can't uh, believe it. And one of them moved with a pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So John Wall, um, I believe John Wall and a pick? Yeah. Moves over to the Houston Rockets for Russell Westbrook. Protected pick, by the way, which yes. means that if Washington's trash, they're keeping that pick. Exactly, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty big move, pretty like just the 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 sheer idea of two. I mean, I, w- I want to say potential All Star players, just because John Wall hasn't played in two years. Uh, but essentially, moving two All Star players, swapping them. Um, do you think either of the teams got better? Um, I believe that Washington did only because John Wall was literally inactive, like he wasn't playing, mm-hmm. and the last couple of years. Having a guy that's not playing, there's no added benefit to that. So from that perspective, I think that they're obviously going to get a plus, and I think that's why they gave away their pick, is the uncertainty. This dude hasn't played a game in two years. Yeah, He's coming off back-to-back injuries, and he's, all his game is is athleticism. So is he going to come back strong? Is he going to you know come back okay? We don't know, so we got to give up that pick. Um, but I do think that they're going to get better. Also, they have a lot of shooters, man. They invested money in Davis Bertans. They got Brad Beal, who's mm-hmm. an amazing spot-up shooter. Uh, even though he does more than spot up, but he's a great spot up shooter. Um, so I think, man, I think Russ could work there. The issue is the East is stacked. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if adding him only to the Wizards is going to make them all that much better. I expect them to make the playoffs, and I don't think they'll be more than a 7-8 seed. I'll be shocked, honestly, uh, if for whatever reason they finish higher than that. It depends how you look at it. I, I wouldn't say they got better considering – John Wall and Russell Westbrook are very similar players, both athletic point guards who are ball dominant and can't shoot the three. So, you know, I'm hoping that John Wall spent this two years off learning how to shoot, learning how to rely on something other than his athleticism to play the game. Now, if if that's the case, I'm really liking how Houston looks. You know, you, you, you pair up a point guard that can shoot the ball, you know, if even if he's shooting at 35 in between 35 to 40% from 3 like that'll still open the, open up space for Harden way more than what Westbrook was doing last season. So, if you if you pair up him and Harden alongside uh a, Demar- a DeMarcus Cousins who hopefully is healthy, um I I think it, it makes it, it makes it a great yeah. big 3, but it's unfortunate that two of your three stars for Houston are, are you know, it's it's a huge asterisk on health. You know, you yeah. don't know if, if, if they're gonna come out healthy, if they're gonna come out and be who they used to be. So as far as certainty, you know, Washington definitely wins that that side of it. Yeah. But I think yeah. ceiling wise, I think Houston can really um I, I don't think they they're gonna go to a different level, but I think they will, you know, yeah, be able to outperform a Washington um if you really compare them head to head. Honestly, my thing with Houston is the uncertainty not so much with John Wall, but with James Harden. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but you brought up a great point earlier with DeMarcus Cousins, and a lot of people don't even remember because both of them have been injured so long and mm-hmm. been out of the picture for so long. But those guys are boys. They played in college together at Kentucky. Right. They're longtime good best friends. They talk on a daily basis, apparently. I'm not with them, so I don't know, but I just read the reports. Uh, they have a good relationship. And just imagine had the injury bug not robbed us of these two talented guys just imagine a healthy big three of James, DeMarcus, and John Wall. Exactly. That's that's a, that's a very, very, very scary scene yeah. for the league. And that's why you hope that they can come back, you know, healthy and, and, and come back to who they used to be. I know it's very, very difficult, especially when you're coming off. They're both coming off pretty much two injuries, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, John Wall re-injured the same, uh, re-aggravated the same injury. I think it was the Achilles. Actually, I think DeMarcus is like three or four. Or did he re-aggravate the Achilles? Because I know that he tore his quad in the playoffs. 
And then he came back, and something else happened. So I'm not really sure. Uh, Demarcus is the, is the quad and another injury. John Wall, I think, is the Achilles, and then the second Achilles reaggravating that Achilles from the bathtub slip. It was ACL then Achilles. And there you go. So that's even a, worse. Even worse. Yeah, even, even worse. worse. Um, so you know, those are two big injuries for John Wall. Like that's a, a knee injury is one of those injuries that are so tough to come back from. And then you talk about the Achilles injury. That's probably, if not as hard as the knee injury, right up right up there with it. So. Health is going to be such a big thing. And then you also, one thing we didn't mention is just the coaching change in Houston. We don't know what this dude is about. We don't know how he's going to run that team, how they're going to, how he's going to get them to play together. We don't know what system he's going to run. So there's a lot of uncertainty going on in, in Houston. Um, another thing that we didn't mention is that Russell Westbrook is re- reuniting with Scott Brooks in oh, Washington. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there MVP is – MVP coach. Exactly. There is an added plus there. You know, Westbrook is going to feel comfortable. He's going to feel like he already has that relationship with Scott Brooks. So definitely a lot of certain advantages for Washington. Um, for, for Houston, I think the ceiling is going to be, you know, you know pretty high. Um, but the low is going to be very, very, yeah. very low for them if it doesn't work out. To, to that point about the lows, James Harden didn't even show up to his first practice. And uh, when, when they asked him where he was, he said, I'm going to report soon. And there were reports coming out that he was at an adult entertainment club yeah. last Saturday night in Atlanta. Uh, the same day that the NBA cracked down and said players are not allowed to go to clubs, bars, restaurants, whatever the case may be. So very, very interesting things going down in Houston. I mean, if I'm looking from the outside looking in, Daryl Morey's gone. Russell Westbrook's gone. Mike D'Antoni's gone. Why is James Harden still here? James is just as much a part of that culture as anybody else's. I mean, they all built that culture around him. So if the team wants to move forward and start fresh, you bring in new GM, new coach. Why is he still here? There's definitely got to be a market for James Harden. I feel like this this whole ownership dynamic with Frittata, Frittita, or whatever his name is, Frittita, I think. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. Honestly, yeah. I don't, I couldn't tell you what it is, but he's too hands on, and I think that that is going to be an issue playing moving forward. I don't know how new management is going to like that. I don't know what's going on with the coach, but it's going to be interesting to see because it really all is in the hands of Harden. He doesn't show up. This team's not going to do anything. I mean, listen, Harden, first of all, wanted to get his fix in before the season started. You know, what can, what can you say? You know, you can't, can't blame a man for, uh, for wanting to, to, you know, go to a bar. We'll you can't say. blame you know, a you man. can't blame a man. Um, but, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, there definitely is a market for Harden. I think, you know, when you are trading away or looking to trade away a superstar, teams – oftentimes end up being very kind of stingy. They want a lot for this guy. They want equal value or what they believe is equal value. And it's very, very difficult for teams to give up their whole roster, their whole young prospects. So there definitely is a market for for James Harden. It's just going to have to come down to a deal actually being made. And to be honest, getting James out of there, I think, like you said, changes the culture. And not only that is that becomes John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins' team. And they've been crying about how much they've dreamed about playing together how much this is how special this is for them so who knows that can create a new synergy in houston yeah. for them once harden leaves so definitely that's the next step for them is is for harden to, to to get traded and for them to get some you know key role players and maybe some young prospects because who knows how long this john wall and the marcus cousins experiment will last but yeah um i i definitely see him getting traded this season yeah i think so too and well, it's just a matter of when and to your point of like it makes it so hard because these guys expect so much in return and you ask yourself, well, why? But then you look at Steve Ballmer and the Clippers made it possible. Yeah, man, it's they done. Set, they set the blueprint. They said, if you want to give up a superstar, the market is six first rounds and like 16 picks. I, I, I'm going to disagree with that only because it was done with in, in, with the Pelicans when they give up AD. They give up, you know, the, the Lakers give up a lot of young prospects. Future prospects, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't all picks. So there are certain packages that you can definitely negotiate. It doesn't have to be always yeah. 10 picks, six picks, whatever it may be. It just has I, to I mean, be good I, would, assets. I would personally prefer Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart over three picks because it's like our, these guys are already good young draft Talents, prospects yeah. and have a huge ceiling. So whichever way you put it, a lot of teams have made it possible for these teams to give up their superstar and get all mm-hmm. these things in return. Um, but I don't know if Harden, given his pay rate and all pay the things that come goal. up with it, I don't know if that's going to be that. But moving on to... Uh, another Western Conference team. So the LA Clippers obviously got bounced last year in the second round. They gave up a 3-1 lead. And way off P, Pandemic P, wanted to 
you know, pin the blame on somebody else. You know, why why would I take the blame? Look, he got fired. Mm-hmm. Why should I? So to give people a bit of a background too, the relationship between Paul George and Doc Rivers is not good. Okay, Keep it so in basketball. PG yeah. was with his daughter, cheated on his daughter, got married. Uh, it left her high and dry. I think they may have been engaged. They were serious. Whatever the case may be, it was not a good situation to be in. And then you, the guy gets fired after you choked away a playoff run. Like, you were up 3-1. I don't know what you want to tell me, but Doc Rivers is on the sideline. You're a superstar. Kawhi is a superstar. There's no excuse to give up a 3-1 lead. And then you come out and say, well, he was playing me like Ray Allen, spot-up yeah. shooter. Uh, and then KOC, Kevin O'Connor, literally statistically debunked his whole theory. He's like, this year alone is the highest usage rate of Paul George in a pick-and-roll offense. Yeah. So you don't even know what you're talking about. You're not going to take ownership of it, and you're going to come out here and blame your coach. I just think, man, the the Clippers are – the Clippers mortgage away their future for two years of, of Paul George and Kawhi, and one of those years is done. So this is it. This is literally it. If they don't win this year, those guys are gone, in my opinion. Uh, well, we know Paul George wants to finish his career there, quote-unquote. But Kawhi, I think, that, is going to leave. He said that twice already, too. Well, once yeah. with Indiana, once with OKC. So who knows? And Boston. Where? No, Paul George. Oh, my fault. Yeah. My fault. So who knows where Paul George really wants to end up retiring? But, you know, as, as far as, as that, you know, I, I think that I, I don't remember what interview he was. Was it all the smoke or was it something? It was, it was a different. It was, all the it was all the smoke, right? If that question is asked to you and, and you know, you know, there's different ways you can approach that that question, answer that question, you know, who's to blame or you know why what happened with that three one lead. But you know, if you're gonna not accept the blame and, 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 and take responsibility for responsibility for how you played, sure. Doc, you know what, didn't make any adjustments. He didn't look like he made any adjustments, but it's also on you to come out and perform. It's also on you to maybe even challenge the coach if he's not making adjustments. It's also on you. You guys were looking at the Nuggets the whole time, like, oh yeah, we got the next one. We got the next yeah. one. Yeah, they didn't change their attitude. He says it. He didn't. We didn't change our attitude the whole time. So, you know, for him to go out and just attack Doc Rivers, you know, we've we've you know when he got fired or even when he got bounced out of the playoffs last year, we came on here and we're like, Doc Rivers sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he deserved was, it. He deserved it. But. You're also on that team. You're, you you were, deserve it just as much. You deserve it just as much. You were hitting, if you were, not more. You were shooting shots off the side of the backboard. That's how bad it got. So, for you to go out and blame someone else and not really accept any responsibility for it, I just think it's a weak move. I think it was Paul a classless act, man. Paul George's stock, the last few years, have decreased. In my I think opinion. just the last year because his last year in OKC he he had was the an MVP, MVP season, right? right? And then he left, and then last year happened, and whatever. Um, yeah, man, Paul George is becoming that guy slowly, the complainer. Uh, constantly just, you know, finding a reason to, to not take accountability. So um, whatever the case may be, a lot of exciting things happening in, in the NBA season starting in about 15 days, two weeks. So a lot of things to look forward to. Um, but without further ado, let's introduce our next guest, Coach Brittany Anderson. So Coach Brittany is an assistant coach with uh, the Stanford Women's Basketball Program. Ooh. She is a former Division One athlete with Virginia Tech. She also coached with Virginia Tech a couple years uh, in a row, uh, and man, we had such a great conversation with Coach, just talking about her playing career into her coaching career and coaching with a Hall of Famer, the goat, the goat, the goat, Coach Van, Coach Tara Vanderveer. So, uh, shout out to you, Coach, for joining the pod. And I think you guys are gonna really enjoy this conversation. So we don't want to waste any more of your time. Enjoy our chat with Coach Brittany. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Brittany Anderson. Coach, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you all doing? Ah, we're doing very, very well. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and we know um, things have been really, really crazy. We were just talking off the air about, you know, day by day, minute by minute. uh, And we were even uncertain that we'd have the time to record tonight. So we're super glad that we, you know, found that time and super glad that you're you're staying safe out there. I know it's uh, it's hectic. How are things going in terms of travel uh, going from different counties to different states. What's that been like for you? It's been an experience I will never forget uh, from traveling across the United States um, to starting a new job on the other side of the United States um, and then to being here in Vegas with the team. It's just been it's been day by day uh, trying to keep ourselves safe, safe as well as uh, our players safe. It's been it's been tough. Um, you have to be very careful, um, pay attention to detail, a lot of paying attention to detail and just making sure 
that we're all taking care of. Yeah, that's a that's a huge thing. Now, before we even get started, I just want to congratulate you on a great start on the season with Stanford. I'm just looking at the box scores for the first three games, Ouch. and it's <laughs> it, it's it's looking quite convincing. Now, I I want to get maybe your your thoughts on you know your team's early season performance and and how you guys have been able to for the majority of the games at least double your opponent's score. So you know just you know speak a bit about that and maybe even speak about the effect of the travel and the uncertainty and how that's affected your team as well. Coming to Stanford, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I know I was going to be working full and with a Hall of Fame coach, but I didn't know what to expect as far as the players. Um, and walking into the situation, one of the very first things I notice um, with the young ladies on our team is that they're very close. We have senior leadership with Anna, Alyssa, and Key. And what they did during this entire kind of like quarantine break from school time is they basically form small groups in order to help the freshmen get acclimated to everything as far as Stanford women's basketball, um, as far as how things are going to be. Um, but they began early forming relationships with them so that when we stepped on the court, it would be kind of more organic and kind of run smoothly. Um, but we have senior leadership. We also um, didn't get back to school until the second or third week in September, whereas I know some schools were in summer, they had summer class, they had summer workouts, um, these young ladies had to work out at home and all of them took it upon themselves to work on their game and get better. But they also took time outside of like our team weekly Zoom calls to just do things on their own, um, to be put in like situations to where they got each other, got together, got to know each other and learn each other on a deeper level. And I think that's helped a lot with their time being away from each other. And when we got back, I also realized just being around them, how much they truly missed being around each other. Um, Tara talked about a sisterhood when I was going through the interview process, and I really didn't know what to expect. And then I got here and I was like, okay, the sisterhood part of it is real. Um, I know our our scores have been somewhat, they haven't, haven't been pretty, um, but I think one of the <laughs> biggest things with this team is that if you look at everybody's numbers so far, as far as like minutes, everybody's playing 10 or more minutes a game. So that's huge as well because the season's going to be kind of short and fast and you got to go and there's really no rhythm that you'll be able to get in to during the season season. So it's a pretty deep team. Absolutely. And that actually sounds super interesting, but before we get into talking about this team more in detail, I actually wanted to ask you coach about your playing career uh, for anyone that's listening that didn't necessarily um, know about your playing background. So I just want to help them understand you played at Virginia tech uh, for a few years, you led them to the postseason every single year, and you also coached there for a few years. But it's evident to see that um, winning basketball actually followed you. So we just want to hear from your perspective, what was it like for you growing up as a player prior to becoming a coach or going through the coaching circuit? Um, I, I would say I both my parents played basketball. So I kind of knew basketball was there. It was never really forced upon me. Um, I love basketball. I love being around basketball. Um, I love coaching, and even when I wasn't coaching in college, I coached AAU, or um, I lived in the, like, the D.C. area, and I could just go sit in the gym and just watch basketball all day. Um, so I'm like a basketball junkie. I love watching it. Um, I think my playing career at Virginia Tech, um, I think you, as you get older, you look back on things and stuff that your team teams have achieved, um, and you kind of remember those things. My time at Virginia Tech was the best four years of my life. Um, I never once thought about transferring. Was it hard? Yes. My parents told me, call me when you have some serious problems. It's hard. You'll get through it. So figure it out. <laughs> uh, so I, I will always remember that. Uh, but I think just my my experience there at Virginia Tech, I felt like I was at home. Um, I have teammates who are my best friends, still my friends to this day. We talk whether we talk every other day, um, whether we talk every other week or every every month or so. It's been it was kind of like we had genuine relationships and genuine friendships there. And that's that was a big part of my time at Virginia Tech as far as like playing and stuff. We all got along. Um, but it really was the best four years of my life at Virginia Tech. Now, you know, getting to, you know, to, to play at, at a D1 level is, is extremely difficult, you know, no matter what the sport is. Um, you know, I just want to know, you know, when did you – I guess maybe let's let's take a look back at even before you made it to Virginia Tech. Like, when did you kind of realize that okay, maybe I can you know go somewhere with this? 
Um, and then how did that influence your preparation? Did you, you know, really have to focus on your eating? Did you have to focus on your training? Uh, did you have to, you know, also carve out time, carve out time for your academics? And so how did you, you know, realize that, you know, yeah, I'm special. I can probably go far with this. And, and how did that change your preparation to get to the next level? Um, so both my parents played division one basketball. My dad played at GW. Um, he's in the hall of fame there. Um, if you wow. still ask him to this day, if he, he could play, he would act like he can't. <laughs> He's older now. Um, my mom played at Howard. So basketball was something that was in our family, but it was never really pushed on us. The one turning point, I'll say, even being as old as I am now, um, I was in the seventh or eighth grade. And I grew up in Texas. So up until my ninth, up until I started high school, I lived in Texas. I lived in um, Colleen, and then I lived in DeSoto, which is right outside of Dallas. And I have a younger sister. We're 18 months apart. And my sister was the more, and she still is to this day, she's like the more aggressive one, um, the more <laughs> getter. Um, and me and my sister tried out for an AU team. And the coach cut me. And I'm old. Wow. Her. And my mom was basically like, look, I have three kids. Either you take both of them or you take none of them. Because my mom is like, I can drop them both off at practice. Um. And some kind of way, I don't remember how it was told to me um, that I was cut. And this coach basically said, and, te- and just a little backstory, girls basketball in Texas is huge. It is like the thing to do. I remember going to watch Duncanville High School girls basketball when I was younger. Um, and it just, the girls got more than the boys as far as getting recruited, as far as winning state championships. Duncanville High School is a school that a lot of girls are fighting to go to, um, to go to high school. Um, so I remember this coach cut me, basically told my parents I'd never played division one basketball. My sister probably would. And it wasn't a shot at her. Um, but it was for me, it was kind of like a wake up call. Am I serious about this or am I not? I was super girly, not to say I'm not girly now, but I didn't like to sweat. I didn't want anybody to touch me. I was long, (laughs) I was lanky and I was super duper skinny. And I just kind of was just a girly girl. Um, not to say I'm not one now, but I just realized I had to, if I really want to do this, I needed to be more serious about it and I needed to get tougher with it. So my parents on Sundays took us to the gym and we worked on our game. Um, I never had a trainer or anything like that. It was my mom and dad going to the gym, just working out. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget. I moved to Richmond, Virginia, my freshman year of high school. Um, and I played for Steve Genovese at Meadowbrook high school. Um, and we had tryouts and everybody heard about, because my dad was in the military, we moved a lot, not as much as a normal military family, but more than the norm. And my parents checked out high schools. They picked out this high school, Meadowbrook high school for us to go to. We go to the high school. Um, we go to basketball tryouts and the coach said, you know, when people say that, you know, they have kids that can play, he said, you know, you really can't trust their parents when they say it. And now that I'm older, I see why he said that. Because I was like, dang, do you think we sucked? Um, but it was one of those things he said, some players come in, they can't chew gum and walk at the same time. And I was like, what is he talking about? And now that I'm older, I understand what he was saying. Um, and that's when I just was like, I'm a freshman playing varsity. Um, I guess people are talking about me. My parents really didn't let us do it. And social media was not what it is now. Um, we didn't read the newspaper a lot. We didn't, I didn't see much about myself. My parents were always on me about improving, getting better. Um, and I got, um, probably halfway through my sophomore year or so. And I said, you know what, mom and dad, I, I want to play in college. And they were like, well, if you want to play in college, this is what it's going to take. Um, and they took me to college practices. Um, they kind of, a, you kind of opened my eyes to what else was out there. Um, and then I just kind of just, was like, I'm just going to let basketball take me as far as as far as it can take me. I knew you could go to college and play basketball and be on a scholarship and your parents have to pay for it. Um, and that's just something that my parents talked about. Um, but I don't I'm looking back now. I think I was very much trying to prove this coach wrong in Texas that probably I don't remember his name. I'll just always will remember that situation of I'm just going to let this take me as far as I can. Yeah, and I feel like most people in your position have that one experience that gives them that chip on their shoulders, and they might not necessarily remember the individual, the location, but they'll never forget the words, and those words are what drive them, they motivate them, and it's it's just interesting how that works, and it's funny you you bring that up, Coach, because 
you know, people who think that or listen to someone who says, hey, I played D1 basketball, you think that, you know, from eight years old, this person was the best person in the gym. You know, they had it all figured out from day one. But it sounds like with your journey, it was it was a progress. It was a process. Sorry. And it was constant hard work and, and just constantly trying to get better. Uh, what was your senior year like heading into college? Did you have a lot of offers by that point? Were you more comfortable or were you one of those players that had to work a little bit harder for their offers, but once you got there, you hit the scene and you were running. So I, I remember um, the whole offer process. I laugh about it because now it's crazy. Um, I remember one of the things I do remember is when I was being recruited, um, I switched high schools my junior year going into my senior year. Um, I moved to Blacksburg, Virginia, where Virginia Tech is. I went to Blacksburg High School. Um, my mother had just accepted a position as anatomy professor at VCOM. And I was, I don't want to say mad at my mom, but I was, to move your senior year is a lot. It is for sure. It's a lot. And in moving my senior year, it kind of opened my eyes to something bigger than just basketball. Kind of opened my eyes to like, I have to go away to college. Like I won't be around my brother, my sister every day. I won't be around my parents every day. Um, so that kind of opened my eyes a lot, but recruiting was different. So they couldn't call you until like coaches couldn't call your house to like September of your senior year. Um, that's when they could call your house. And we had a house phone at the time. My mom was like, look, they're not calling your cell phone because I could barely use it at the time. I could only take my cell phone with me when I was like out driving somewhere in case I needed it. Um, and I didn't call the house. And if they call the house and that means they're serious. Um, and on that day when they could call the house and then you could start getting mail, that's when I just kind of was like, oh, wow, this is much bigger than what I even imagined it to be. Um, but I committed to Virginia Tech in October of my senior year. I didn't let it all play out. Um, I was down to Alabama, um, Wake Forest, um, VCU and Virginia Tech. Um, and I was recruited by UVA, but. I just kind of told them, um, I told Audra Smith, who was recruiting me, I was like, oh, I just don't see myself fitting in there. Um, but I had a lot of um, people recruiting me. Um, I just I just committed early and kind of ended it early in my senior year because that's when they could, they could call you. But I just knew, like, I didn't want to go about it, um, how other people choose to go about the whole process. Um, nothing against them if that's how they want to go about it. But I just knew that I needed to focus on the academic part of it and I needed to focus on just my senior year um, in general, which was a lot for me to grasp. I'm thankful for that um, situation that I was in now, um, but I I just didn't. I kind of cut down my list. I, I visited. I took a visit to Alabama and I was like, OK, I just moved to a new high school. I don't want to be this far away from my family. Um, I want my family to still come see me play. Um, I knew when we lived in Richmond, I was like, okay, if I live in Richmond, my parents could drive three hours to games if I decided to go to Virginia Tech, and then we ended up moving there. So it, was, it wasn't it was very long and drawn out, and it was just kind of like some coaches I connected with, and then I just went with it from there. That, that's awesome. Now you So now we've, we've gotten your commitment to Virginia Tech, and now you're, you're, you're starting to really, you know, you know, play there, especially as a, as a freshman. How does it feel walking in you know to the first practice or the the first meeting or the first game how does it feel to have kind of like realize that you're pretty much at the top level for your age group and what's that competition like especially in that first practice like are you in there are you going in there like especially as a freshman saying oh you know i'm gonna go in there follow the drills follow um what coach is saying or are you going in there saying i'm gonna make myself stand out. I want to start playing right away. I want to, I want to get some minutes. How, how was your, you know, I'm going to kill you yeah. and you, <laughs> and I'm going to take, oh, no. take your spot. I'm going to take her spot. I'm going to take her spot. Or how was it? What was your mindset going in? Maybe that first practice or those first team meetings um, when you first joined the team? I think my mindset um, <laughs> was going in. I was like, Oh, I, I thought it would be a smooth transition. And I thought it'd be a smooth transition from the point of, okay, I played basketball all my life. How much harder could this be? Um, and then that quickly changed. Um, <laughs> I, I knew I was walking into a situation where Bonnie Hendrickson had built up a program who was continuously going to the NCAA tournament. Um, I knew I was walking into a program where I was going to have to fight for minutes, but I think I didn't realize how, far, how hard I was going to have to fight in order to get minutes until I actually got there. 
Um, and then there were situations where I was like, if I could just play a little bit here and there, then I'll be okay. Um, and then your eyes are like wide open and you're like, what did I sign up for? So <laughs> that, that part was like, uh, okay. But I never, um, I knew I was walking in. I knew I was going to have to work. I didn't realize how hard I was going to have to work. That's super like eye opening, I guess is the word to say there because you don't even expect it. And you love the sport and you, you know, getting to D1 level means you were doing something right. And you were probably the best player on the team that you came out of, if not one of the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're coming in a situation where you're starting all over again. You're you're taking that step. Yes, you're going to the collegiate level. But not many people are fortunate enough to come in there and have the same exact role they had in high school. You have to work really hard for it. There's seniors. There's you know juniors. who are All these people are trying to get noticed, trying to make a career for themselves. So there's a certain level of competitiveness that you have to come in with and an edge for sure. Uh, so it's super interesting to hear you say that. Now, earlier I lamented to when you had joined the Hokies uh, on the sideline. This this was from 2016 to 2018. You had led them to three straight postseason trips. Uh, and this is, you know, you had played there, I think it was about 13 years prior to that. And you led them as well to uh, the, the four straight postseason trips. So what is it about you, Coach? Like, what's what's the, what's your style what do you bring to the court? Like, why does winning seem to follow you, Coach? Well, thank you. I'll take that compliment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think my biggest thing as a coach, um, I am all about the young women on the team. Um, from the standpoint of, I know what it feels like, and I always try to put myself in them shoes when in their shoes as a freshman. I always try to put myself in their shoes as a sophomore, as a junior, and then as a senior. Um, there's probably every possible situation that these young ladies have gone through that I've gone through. I went through coaching change. Um, I went through some administration changes as a player. Um, and I know coming into Virginia Tech that that happened. Um, and I knew there was going to be a time when I was going to have to lean on those experiences. Um, I've worked, I've ha- I have worked for some really good, um, I've had some really good bosses that I've worked for that have helped me out big time as far as different aspects of the game, um, as far as different aspects of running a program. But I think the the biggest thing is I try to be able to relate to them on their level of what they're going through at that time. Um, like I said, I always go back to my freshman year. You're a freshman, you're going in and you think you're, you think, okay, how hard could this be? It's just basketball. But you don't realize how many postseason workouts, how many summer workouts, how many preseasons the sophomores, juniors, and seniors have ahead of you as a freshman. So being able to talk to freshmen through that situation. And then as a sophomore, you get to be in a sophomore and you're a sophomore and then here come freshmen again. And then you're trying to help them get through the situation, which I had to do. So I try to help sophomores um, go through that as well. So I, I just, I try to go back to my own playing experiences and I try to not um, ever forget that and lean on that um, because it has taught me probably the most about just life in general. But I think the biggest thing that I did um, and I would tell people to do at any time is, is that when I graduated from Virginia Tech, um, I went and I worked a regular job in corporate America before I got into college coaching. Now, did I think I was going to be a college coach? No. Did I know I want to be around basketball? I did, but I think there are some skills and there are some things that I learned working in corporate America that apply to a team, helping run a team or being a part of a team that I didn't see as a, as a player. So there's just a lot of different experiences that I pull from, and I feel like I can be able to pull from those experiences just in talking to the young ladies on our team. Um, and if, it's the, if there's one thing I always try to do is I just want to see the light bulb go off at some point in time to where it's like, I get it, I got it, and then they're reaching back to help somebody else. I love that you mentioned that you didn't get into coaching right away. I was going to actually ask, you know, now that you graduated Virginia Tech and then you kind of had, you know, your I guess your options laid out in front of you. you know, and what were those options when you graduated, you know? You said you 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 know you wanted to be around basketball. You knew you you wanted to do something with the game. Obviously, you worked in corporate America. I would love to hear more about that. What you did right after school, but you know, was there an opportunity maybe to to, to go on to the WNBA or even try out for teams? Um, and then, how did the coaching opportunity present itself to you after you took that job in corporate America? So I, um, when I was done playing, I'll never forget my last game. Um, I played, we played in the WNIT quarterfinals to go 
play. I can't remember where the next round was. Um, and I kind of was going back and forth with like, do I want to keep playing when this is done? But I knew as we advance through the uh, WNIT tournament, I have to approach each, each game as if it's my last. So I got to play my last game in Castle Coliseum. Um, I thought about, do I want to play professionally? I kind of told my mom I didn't want to. I just felt like um, I wanted to be not the ending to it, but I wanted to have some sort of control over, okay, it's time to turn the page. I think when I realized um, I was not good enough for the WNBA, we played against Dewana Bonner. Auburn came and played us, and I think she gave us 30-plus. And I was like, that's a pro. Like, that's a pro. She's a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guard. Um, she killed us. She killed us. And I was like, you know what? I'm not on her level. And that's okay. So I think yeah, I realized yeah. the WNBA was not for me. I kind of threw around the idea of playing overseas. Um, but I just didn't – I didn't want to – not go through it. I just didn't. I knew I didn't want to be a, I didn't, I loved basketball. I didn't want to play anymore. Um, I think right. I, I kind of just realized like, okay, this is it. Basketball has carried me enough. What else can I do in basketball? Um, and that's what, when I graduated, um, I played for team unique, James Nichols, and he basically took a group of about 10 to 12 girls and we would just go play tournaments. And he was out of Maryland. Um, so I went back to coach with him, um, an old AU team I was a part of. Um, he recently passed away a couple months ago. Um, but Team Unique was like my experience with the AU basketball that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and I still talk to some of the players I played with through that. But I coached AU for six summers, I think it was. I just coached AU. I traveled with the team. I enjoyed it. Um, and I just worked as a electrical engineer. I worked for an electrical engineering company as a recruiter. Um, I recruited electrical engineers. I recruited um, electricians, but I, I did that job and I loved that job because I worked for basically a construction company and I could work seven to three, um, six to four, but it gave me the freedom to be able to coach AU on the weekends. Um, so that's why I right. really enjoyed doing that. Um, being able to coach AU, have practice and things of that sort. Um, but I just, I just knew like basketball had carried me as far as it had carried me. Um, and I was okay with letting go at that time. And I didn't want it to be a situation where the game was pulled from me like unexpectedly. And then I was just like, somebody pulled the carpet from underneath me and I'm like, I'm out here still trying to play. And like, what am I doing? So I kind of was like, let me just end this now. That's fair. And, and that's in itself is a very hard decision. A lot of athletes have a hard time making that decision and i think a lot of them because they have a hard time making that decision end up in situations that may not be the best for them so for for you to be able to step back and say listen i've done this for quite some time now and i know that i have better things in store i'm going to walk away from this that that's a pretty big step and and to your point you you coached aau and now you're coaching um d1 women's basketball so what i want to ask you is sort of a two-part question but do you feel like your experience with AAU, was that crucial in helping you be the coach you are right now and, and being able to move up in the NCAA as a coach? And the second part is, what are the key differences that you feel, uh, obviously aside from the skill set, are between being a coach at the AAU level versus the NCAA level? Um, the first To answer the first part of your question, um, what I did AAU was for free, and that's how I knew I was passionate about it. I wasn't getting paid for it. Um, and my parents always said, if you could do something for free, like you really enjoy it and you really want to do it. So that was um, one of the things um, that I was able to do just just to coach and have the freedom to do it. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I didn't feel like I was actually like working, having to do it. But a, you helped me build relationships from a different point of view. Um, as a coach compared to as a player. So being able to talk to coaches that I played against, whether it be high school, um, whether it be um, college, um, being able to form relationships with those coaches from a different point of view, um, but also being able to see just kind of how AU kind of helped me see like how the game has changed so much, um, especially for girls basketball in a positive way, just from the aspect of it's blown up and it's grown so much um, to where you don't have to travel as far to be a part of an AU team. And it's, I guess it's, cooler now, I guess you could say, for girls to play basketball or women to play basketball. So I was able to understand like that aspect of it, coaching AAU, just kind of watching it grow and the opportunity that 
these girls have compared to what I had when I was younger. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question, I think there's skills in coaching AAU um, that help you coach in college um, as far as like former relationships, that part of it, um, but also being able like AAU, there's no scouting. There's no um, trying to figure out what somebody's doing. Like you can watch their team, but college being on the coaching side, college it's way more detailed as far as scouting, what you're trying to take away, things of that, that sort, you have more time to prepare for it. Um, so I, there's a lot of AU skills and things I've done that I still rely on um, to this day. Um, but I always say, like, I literally started from, like, the bottom. Like, I coached high school basketball for a year, um, and then just time wouldn't allow it. But just to coach AAU and then move up with it, um, it's definitely been a journey. And to be honest with you, somebody had asked me in college, I, one of my coaches, who's my mentor now, Bobby Kelsey, she asked me about when I graduated, she was like, you, you should think about college coaching. I was like, no, for what? They have no life. Like that's, and I literally said that to her. I was like, they have no life. Like, why would I do that? And then now she jokes about it now, but I'm like, look at me now. So <laughs> here I am. Here you are. Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing how often that happens to people. You, 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 you'd be surprised how often that happens now. Uh, what made you decide to move over from Virginia Tech to Stanford? You know, I assume it's a very, very difficult decision. Um, you played there. Obviously, you, you, you were coaching there. Um, so, you know, what made you move over? What's that experience been like at Stanford? And, you know, you mentioned Coach Tara, you know, being like a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, and, you know, how has it been to coach with her alongside her? Um, it was a very hard decision, um, especially during the pandemic, um, especially with how last season ended. I'm a firm believer that Virginia Tech women's basketball was in the NCAA tournament um, last year, which would have been the first time they had been in the tournament since my junior year of college. So that part of it, it kind of was just like, I don't know about this. Um, but I knew it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. Um, I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't tell a hall of fame coach, um, who is about to pass Pat Summit as far as wins, um, as a division one coach, head coach, I couldn't tell her no. Um, I couldn't say no to the opportunity, um, of working at Stanford. Um, but she has been, it's been a joy to work for Tara. I've learned something new pretty much every day. Um, she's allowed me to be able to do things, um, be a part of things. Um, she's talked me through things. Um, she's opened up my way of kind of like how to look at things different, um, on a deeper level. She's just been, it's just, she has a wealth of knowledge that she's not scared to share with people. Um, and I think sometimes that just that little bit of an opportunity to learn um, some knowledge from somebody who is, as the kids would say, she's the GOAT, um, literally, <laughs> <laughs> to learn from her um, has been huge, has been huge. Um, the transition period, honestly, I was like, we're in a pandemic. I don't want to get on a plane. I don't want to fly over there. I've never been to Stanford. I've never seen it in person. Um, I've only seen stuff online. And then to say yes, it was a huge leap of faith. I prayed about it, like, okay, should I do this? Am I going to do this? What What do I do? Um, it's a huge leap of faith, especially during a pandemic. I, you know, you get the, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? Why? And, you know, everybody doesn't understand. I think that was the biggest lesson for me. Everybody doesn't understand your journey or why you decide to make steps in your journey. Um, it doesn't always make sense to other people. And people are going to question you. But I think if you just have... Have faith and just step out there. And if you feel like in your gut, well, this is this is what you're supposed to do, um, right. and go for it. Then, then you're fine. But I I haven't um, haven't regretted the decision. I miss um, the young ladies at Virginia Tech. I really do. Um, but it's just opened my eyes to more basketball, um, just a different style. Yeah, and that's that's incredible, honestly. And I was looking into Coach Tara. And I see that she had joined the program in 1985. So you went into a program, and she's been in there for almost 30 years or more than 30 years. I don't know what 80 – I think it's 80, 35 years, almost 40 years. So she's been in this program for quite some time. Her footprint is all over this program. It runs her way. She's the focal point. And like you said, she's the GOAT. So who's going to come in here and, and dispute anything that, that she says? So yes. it's got to be – there's got to be moments, though, where you're like – wow, like I'm on the same bench as, as one of the goats in, in college basketball. Like, how does that make you feel? 
Um, the three games that I've been a part of has been like, uh, okay. Um, it has been um, even just, just simple things like watching film, like we were watching film earlier, um, her talking through things. I literally have to pinch myself sometimes because I'm like, okay, I'm here. Um, I'm working here. Um, I'm here. I'm working here. So it's, it's, it's that constantly. Um, but I think one of the things is just having the confidence and knowing like, look, I deserve to be here. I'm in the right place. Um, she's, she is one of those people where she's not, she's been here since 85. Um, she's one of those people that's gonna kind of let you do your thing. Um, she's going to tell you kind of what she expects. Um, but she's, she's very much so open to hearing what you have to say or your view on something. Um, and I don't think that that's very common, um, with coaches who have been doing it as long as she's been doing it. So that's probably been the biggest thing to where I'm like, you want to know what I think? Uh, okay, here's what I think. So yeah, <laughs> and it's got it's got to be such an honor. Like, wow, you care about my opinion? That's amazing. And another thing, coach, I want to say is you mentioned like you came from a program that they were gonna make the tournament last year, but it would have been the first time since your junior year. But you're coming into a program where there's a standard of excellence. Like they in the last couple of years. Just to name a few, Elite 8, Sweet 16, Final 4, Elite 8, Sweet 16, Final 4. And it's like a process. Elite 8, again, Final 4, 16, runner-up. So there's a lot of – this program is prestigious, you know, in terms of female women's basketball. I don't know much about the, the men's program, to be completely honest with you, but based on everything that we're seeing here, this is a great program. So have you noticed that – you know when you say earlier, you know, when the player came into the building, she hit us with over 30 and we knew right there – that this was a pro. Did you walk into this building, walk into this program, see the way that they run and say, yeah, this is that next level from what I was doing before? Yes. Um, I th- and I saw that, honestly, um, our first team workout um, back in September, um, there's there's a certain manner and level and standard in which things are done. Um, and I think you see that a lot with uh, Key, Kiana Williams. I think you see that in her just in how she – goes about things, how she helps our freshman point guard um, with how she communicates to the bigs, with how she tells everybody else what they're going to run and what to look for. So I think I I saw that um, in her, um, but I think my first time I went into the office um, and you just see the Final Fours, you see the Elite Eight, you see the Sweet Sixteen, you see the chairs from the Final Fours, like the different tournaments and stuff like that. It just kind of was like, wow. Um, so it was just one of those things like you have to get used to seeing every day. Cause I, <laughs> I was not used to, see, you see this stuff, um, every day as far as like different tropes, like stuff like that. Um, but also it helps you and it's helped me pay attention to the details of different stuff, how things are done, why things are done a certain way. Um, if they're not done a certain way, how it affects other areas, whether it be within the program, whether it be within a game, like different stuff like that. So you just see like the detail aspect of it. Um, and Tara's been here for for so long. Um, and I think it just trickles down from class to class to class. So it is just like, okay, we have this standard of excellence and this is what we're going to do. And this is how things should be done. Given your, you know, your current coaching experience, what do you say you love the most about coaching the NCAA? From my, you know, just from, from hearing you speak, I feel like you 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 love just the connection that you can have with the players, the your ability, you know, to be able to relate because you were once in their shoes, um, and you know, just the ability to be able to teach them, you know, new things because they are still, you know, they're still pretty young, young players. You know, you're talking about eighteen to twenty two years old, roughly, right? So, um, that's what I got from just just like sitting here and listening to you. Now, what you know, what do you what do you really love about coaching in the NCAA? Um, what I genuinely enjoy and love to see um, is these young women walk across the stage um, with their degree. Um, I love to see and I enjoy it kind of when the light bulb goes off. Um, but basketball, I think for a lot of these young women, um, basketball teaches them kind of what it taught me from the aspect of you put your body through a lot playing Division One basketball you put your mind through a lot playing division one basketball and it helps you see and helps you build confidence as far as there is nothing. Once I walk out these doors, once basketball is over that comes my way that I can't overcome. I think it instills a sense of pride in these young women. It instills 
just a sense of like urgency of going after and achieving what you want to achieve. Um, I really, I do enjoy, even from when I first started coaching college um, seven years ago at Radford, there's still players from that team that still reach out to me. I send them stuff. Um, they'll send me texts, hey, coach, is thinking about you. How's it going? Just little stuff like that, just checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. Um, just that connection with the players, that they know somebody's always going to have their back. Somebody's always going to be there for them. Somebody's always going to encourage them because I know what my college coaches, especially Bobby Kelsey, meant to me. Um, and she kind of put herself to the side to make sure that we were okay. Um, but it's just for some of them, it's just knowing somebody cares about them and is going to be there for them. Yeah, that sounds amazing, honestly. And it's the thing about it is like I personally love the idea of coaching. I've coached basketball at a much, much lesser level than you. There's no way I'm not going to sit here and compare it at all. <laughs> uh, but but there's just a different aspect of coaching that you love. And it's it, it, and I want to hear from you, like, do you ever think about what you want to do in terms of you know, you realize that you didn't have what it took to be that professional, but you have a basketball brain. You've been around the game for way longer than these players that you're coaching. Is it a goal of yours to get those people over the hump and just onto that next level? Yeah, for some. Um, I always ask the players, um, probably the main question I ask them is, okay, what do you want, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do with basketball? How far do you want basketball to take you? Um, I, I don't think that these young women all the time realize how far basketball can take them. Some do, some don't, um, and using it as a vehicle to get to where they want to go. Um, but I, I just, I try to, I don't know. It's, I think there, and there's different levels to coaching. Um, and I think you can have an impact on every level. Um, I don't think I have a different impact as a coach because I'm a division one coach or at the division one level at this time. Um, I just, I just think that basketball should help them get somewhere to achieve something. And sometimes it's bigger than basketball. I know some players say they want to play professionally. Um, and when they ask me that or say, Hey coach, I want to be a pro. I want to play professionally. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a straight shooter. Um, I am very bad at sugarcoating things. And I tell them, okay, well, when you're yeah. ready for me to tell you exactly what you have to do, it if you want to play professionally, then I'll tell you um, how much, time you're going to have to put in and things you're going to have to change in order to get to that level. Um, so I, I try to help them see it without being too bluntly honest because they everybody can't handle it. So I sometimes I push them to do some research on, hey, you say you want to play professionally. Well, do you know how much you could possibly get paid your first year playing professionally? Do you know yeah, how much you have to sure. play to get to that point to where you feel like you can take care of your family or do different things like that. So I kind of push them to do some research on it. Um, but I think they, it's not as glamorous as they think it is in the beginning. Um, so I try to express that to them in the best way possible. Um, but a lot of them do, they, they say they want to play professionally. Um, but I don't think they realize how much goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we let you go, Coach, I just want to say one more thing. Because earlier you talked about Coach Tara and her being the GOAT. And to our listeners who may not be familiar, uh, we I we actually took the time to search up her record. Uh-huh. Uh, we're looking at 1,091 wins to 334 losses as a total record, <laughs> which is an insane record. So this is our formal fadeaway uh, asking Coach Tara if you have some time. Even if it's 20 minutes of your time, we would love to chat with you and find out how does somebody win 1,100 games before losing 500. That That's our main thing. That's what we want. Um, with that being said, Coach Brittany, we appreciate your time so much. Uh, we wish you all the best in this season. You're off to a great start, 3-0. and uh, yet you're in a great program with a, a great track record, so we're going to be excited to watch you on TV, hopefully come March this year, next year. Next year. <laughs> God willing, yeah. through the pandemic, yes. <laughs> God willing, absolutely. With that being said, enjoy the rest of your time in Vegas. All the best, and we will chat later. Thank you. Thank you very much.